Again, that was a new one. It's okay. If it was hard to follow, I apologize. Scripture today is Genesis 5, Genesis 6, 5 through 7. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. Amen. Would you say a prayer with me this morning? Lord, let these words be your words. Speak to our hearts. Let it be clear what you want to make known this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry I didn't get to get up and greet everybody. Uh, I normally walk around and say hi. Um, Just getting used to doing a Sunday school class and trying to time out when to get up here. That ain't working right. You know, we stopped talking at 10.15 and prayed and got ready to come. And just so I apologize to you for that. Also want to uh, welcome everybody here today. Thank you for being here. And for those who are turned in by Facebook or you're going to watch the video later, we are at 22 East Oak Street, West Alexandria, Ohio, West Alexandria Church of the Brethren. Um, Also, next Sunday will be my last sermon about missions, and I'm going to highlight the specific missions you do as a church since I've been here and go over them with you to ask God to help us to continue to be a missionary-minded church following his will and his way. Having said that, um, let's get right into it and see what's going on this morning in Genesis chapter 6. He destroyed his own creation. The plants that provided sustenance for his creation, they did no wrong. They grew like they were supposed to, yet he got rid of them. The birds who filled the skies and sang of his goodness were not spared but a few. The animals, companion to his creation, were killed save only two. Man His most holy creation died all but eight. How could such a holy, righteous, all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving God do such a thing? Yet I say to you this morning, without any hesitation, that the God that I serve is a missionary-minded God, looking for a missionary-minded people to extend His kingdom And love unto all the world. What a contradictory statement to say on the one hand that he destroyed his own creation. And then on the other hand that this God is a God of love. He loves man. He loved everything he made and created. And yet he destroyed it. Genesis chapter 6 gives us the whole thing about creation and what God was going to do. And so I'm going to give an overview of Genesis chapter 6 before I hit to the heart of the word today. First, there's a prelude to the disaster that's about to come in verses 1 through 4. Wickedness grows. God will withdraw his spirit. Mankind will be uh, hardened by this withdrawal. God says, I'm not going to deal with you anymore. 
And as he pulls away from man, man's heart is going to become harder and harder and harder where he no longer wants to hear from God. Secondly, you guys might like this movie. Here comes the boom. Verses 5 through 8. Maybe you never saw the movie. Divine judgment is announced. The people reject God and his ways, showing their hopeless condition. Details of this judgment are given with exceptions given to Noah. Reasons for Noah being spared in verses 9 through 12. The Bible says he was a just man, perfect in his generations, and that he walked with God. Noah's instructed how to build the ark, verses 13 through 17. God will establish his covenant with Noah, verses 18 through 22. Why was God grieved with his creation? What frustrated him so bad that made him say these things? Man began to multiply on the earth. He married in an unholy way. This resulted in a corruption of the earth through violence. So as man grows and he chooses to do evil and he marries in a bad way, evil just grows and it flourishes and now the whole earth has become violent. Chapter 6 and verse 5 describes the condition of man. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Man was corrupt outwardly and inwardly. The words in verse 5, the words every, only, and continually define the character of man. In Matthew 24, verse 37, Jesus compares Noah's day to the end of time. Now, everybody says we're at the end. Peter says, though, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. But Jesus says, this is the way it's going to be before I come. And he compares it to the days of Noah. He says there'll be an exploding population. He says there'll be sexual perversion. Constant evil will be in the heart of man. There'll be widespread corruption and violence. Because of this, God says two things in Genesis. The first thing he says, his spirit will not always strive with man. God will turn man over to his own desire. We read this in Romans chapter 1 when he's frustrated with the children of Israel. They kept wanting to go back and serve and follow idols and do the wrong thing. And Paul says God turned them over to themselves to do what they wanted to do. For me, that's a scary thought to think that my God would turn me over to myself and say, here's your freedom that you so want to enjoy. Go do what you want. With no conviction on my heart, no direction in my life, no guidance for me, no structure for me. He turned and said, do what you want to do. The divine gift of life given to man will not rule him any longer. Second, he will limit man's years. His spirit will work for 120 years before he casts judgment on his people. Now, a lot of people believe when uh, Genesis talks about the years of man being 120 years, it means he won't live the past the age of 120. That man will die at the age of 120. Pretty much, I don't know of anybody that's lived past 120, but there could be. But in the Bible days in Genesis, after God says this, there were people 
who lived 120 years or longer. But God says his spirit will work for 120 years before he casts judgment on his people. And I will come back to that. It is in these two statements that I believe we find the very missionary nature of God. God always has a plan to bring man to himself. Noah was a perfect and righteous man. He came from a family tree that loved God. In Genesis, the chapter before, it talks about how Noah came to be and what his family line come. Just a couple of men in his family. Seth replaced Abel, who was murdered by Cain. In this family was Enoch, who was translated because he walked with God, and Methuselah, the oldest man in the Bible, the grandfather of Noah. Noah's father said this of Noah, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. Genesis 5 and 29. This line, this family tree, was in response to this group called the Nephilim in the land. These giant men in the land. And the people believed different things about these Nephilim, or who they were and how they came to be. And I'm going to lay out for you the beliefs that are out there. Whether these were the offspring of fallen angels, as in Job chapter 1, 38, and Jude chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, if they were fallen angels, or they were righteous descendants of Seth. In other words, that came through the family of God. They followed God and they served God, but they intermarried with the unrighteous descendants of Cain. Cain murdered his brother. Some people believe that the people of God married the non-people of God, and when they done this, it made the whole world corrupt. Or they were humans possessed by fallen angels. It didn't matter what you believe about that. The end result was the same. They brought total disobedience into the world, and it grieved God. That is, God resented man's wickedness and was hurt and affronted by it. God had given man power, authority, life, gave him a world to tend to and sustain, gave him a wife to be around him, gave him people that he could communicate with and be around, gave him purpose in life. God done all these things for man, and man turned on God. The Bible describes God's grievance in several ways. And this is just a way for us to understand, I guess what you'd want to call, the frustration of God. God is all loving, he's all powerful, he's all kind, he's all knowing. He knew everything that was going to happen, so it didn't surprise him. But how do we in our finite minds understand an infinite God? They put it in terms and words that help us understand it. And so this is how the Bible describes God's grievance. First, in Amos chapter 2 and 13, he is pressed by their sin. Isaiah 43 and 24, he is wearied by their sacrifices. And Ezekiel 6 and 9, he's broken that his people would continue to turn on him and not want to follow him and not want to serve him and not want to love him. Psalm 95 and verse 10, God is grieved. Yet, it would be through this family, the family of Noah, that God would bless his missionary nature in that he made a covenant with Noah. Noah comes through this righteous line and God says, this is the covenant I'm going to make with you, Noah. 
God's relationships is always found in covenant what he makes with man. God also provided the means of sacrifice required. In Genesis chapter 7 verse 2, this is what God says. Of every clean beast thou shalt take thee by seven, the male and the female. And of the beasts that are not clean by two, the male and the female. Noah would sacrifice one clean animal as an offering to God for his family, guiding the way into the future of what sacrifice that God would require. Last week when we talked on Genesis, we said God made him skins. The skin had to come from an animal to hide their nakedness, which was what their sin was. You saw me naked, you saw me exposed, and I was afraid. And God says, Noah... And God says, uh, Adam, here is a sacrifice that needs to be made. And he showed them what to do. Now we learn in Genesis 6, this sacrifice has to be uh, from a what's known as a clean animal. That the children of Israel was allowed to partake of. And that God was to accept as sacrifice. The animal had to be clean. God would grant Noah grace. Now think about it. God has destroyed the world. He's got rid of everything. Noah comes out of the ark and he goes and builds him a vineyard. Now I would think in a very high stress situation when I saw everything before me disappear and you know how it is. Let's go have a bud, Billy. It's hard right now. He plants a vineyard. He gets drunk. When he gets drunk, he's laying naked. Naked is the sign of sin. This is what happened to Adam. I was naked and I was afraid to be in your presence. Noah's laying naked. His son sees his nakedness and he doesn't cover his sin. Noah got drunk laying naked and Ham did not cover him. But God's grace was right there. His love and his mercy. His grace was found in the covenant not to destroy the earth by a flood. So that now today whenever you and I see rain and it's storming and real bad. And the creek rises up on the road and it gets up to your house. And you think, man, it's about to hit my home. All of a sudden, if it's sunny out, here comes the rainbow. The rainbow was the covenant of God to let man know he would not destroy the earth in this way. That's God's love. That's God's grace. And that's his mercy. This same grace that God offered Noah was offered to the people for 120 years while the ark was being built. Now, I would think while Noah's building this big boat, people had never heard of rain. So some of his buds come by some day and say, what are you doing building this? What is this? And Noah says, it's going to rain. We've never heard of rain. We don't know what rain is. Day after day after day, he is building this boat and he's going to do it for 120 years. That's the grace of God speaking to man of what he wants to do in their lives. Noah's name could mean grieved or comfort. But this is the first time favor or the word grace is used in the Old Testament. And not to get too giggly goo about this, but it's out there. The consonant of Noah's name in reverse means grace. 
depending on how one reads the Hebrew and understands it, does all that fancy Nancy stuff, is how you get these words. But Noah was there speaking the grace of God. Grace has always been a part of God's nature. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. When he talked to Moses, he says, I'm a God of love, caring, and compassion. He made a covenant with Abraham, and he went right through Abraham and said, Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. When he talked to Moses about the law, he said, Let my people know I'm a God of love, I'm a God of mercy, and I am a God of kindness. Grace is always shown in covenant. In 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 23 this evil king came and was picking on Israel. Now God had sent the king because Israel was disobedient. But the Lord came and said, that's enough. That's enough of you treating my people like this. 2 Kings 3 and 23. And the Lord was gracious unto them and had compassion on them and had respect unto them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and would not destroy them, neither cast he them from his presence as of yet. I have a will, I have a desire, I have something I want my people to do, and even though it seems bad on them, I made a covenant with their forefathers, and I will respect that covenant. Grace was preached while Noah built the ark. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood upon the world of the ungodly. 1 Peter 3 and 20. Which were sometimes disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God awaited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Grace has always been offered to his creation. He's always reached out to man and say, I love you. I care for you. Why won't you choose to follow and serve me? I've given you my word. I've given you my promises. I've given you my direction. But praise God that the covenant of grace was offered to you and to me. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 22 He's talking about how Moses went to the mount to get the law of God and that they were the people of God. And this is what he says about the church. But ye are coming to Mount Zion unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkling of blood that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaks, for if they escape not who refuse him that spake on earth, 
Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. You and I are a result of the grace of God. He saved our souls. He changed our lives. He made us new. He brought us into fellowship with him as individuals. And he brings us as a community of believers into his presence. We are the body of Christ. We are the church of the living God. And because of his grace to us, we are called to extend his grace and his mercy to all men. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says some pretty crazy things, in my opinion. This is what he says. Love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Love your enemies. Reach out to them. Speak to them at the grace and the goodness of God, because he loves every man, woman, and child the same. He is God, and like him there is no other. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, speaking to the believers, how we're to respond to one another. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearer. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Then again in Colossians chapter 3, this is what Paul says to the church. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. That you and I are called as believers to live a different way of life. We are to extend grace, extend love, extend mercy to everyone we come across. To offer forgiveness for those who have harmed us. And we do it because of what Christ done in our hearts. I don't understand why we won't extend grace to those against us or love or mercy or kindness. Has not Christ touched our heart in such a deep way that we only want to serve him, we only want to follow him, and we only want to love him? And as a result, we want to be in his house to offer him the praise that's through his name? I was glad unto me when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Sure, you can worship him anywhere you want and do whatever you want to do and live how you want to live. But when will the believers say, you, Christ, are more important than me? You are my God. You are my Lord. You are the master. And I love you.
therefore I will be in your house. Therefore I will serve my brother. Therefore I will love thy enemies. Those who are against me, who talk bad about me, who treat me wrong, I will extend them love and grace and mercy. I will be your missionary-minded person on this earth. You are such an awesome church. You do such great things. You love him. You honor him. You serve him. You follow him. You do what he asks you to do. So I say to you this morning, West Alexandria Church of the Brethren, let you and I continue to be God's missionary-minded people in this congregation. Let's do his will. Let's follow him. Let's serve him. And let's extend his kingdom into all the earth. And let others know there is a Christ. He's alive in heaven. And he can touch your heart. And he can change your life. And he can change who you are. This is what we are called to do. I believe Genesis lays it all out. That this is a missionary minded God. Looking for a missionary minded people. To tell him everybody about his love. His mercy, his grace, and his kindness. And may the Lord God Almighty use us to do it and to follow his will. Heavenly Father, I just come to you this morning in Jesus' name. And the flood story is a hard story, Lord. But you spoke to man. And you used Noah as a vessel for your glory and honor to reach out to all mankind to Beg them for 120 years to come to you. To turn from their evil and wicked ways and turn to the true and the living God. And Lord, you called the church in Acts when you filled them with your Holy Spirit. To spread the word from Jerusalem all over the world. You use the Sugar Hill Congregation and Tom's Run Church, Lord, to build the West Alexandria Church of the Brethren. Men and women and children who saw the heart of God, who wanted to make a difference in somebody else's life, you touched this church and this congregation. And today, Lord, we are recipients of that love you've given so long ago. You have saved our souls. You have touched us with the blood of Jesus Christ. You have changed our minds. You have made us new. You have healed us in our hearts, Lord God Almighty. Let us be the people that shows you are a missionary-minded God. Heal us where we need to be healed. Change us where we need to be changed. And use the West Alexandria Church of the Brethren, Lord, for your glory and for your honor that we serve and follow you, the true and the living God. I ask you to hear this prayer. And there are so many people, Lord, that are sick and need healing. I pray you heal their bodies today. So many broken people, Lord, heal them today. Just pray, God, you hear us now, Lord. I ask in the mighty name of Jesus for your glory and your honor. Amen.